This is EntreEd Talk, the podcast for entrepreneurial educators by entrepreneurial educators. We are your hosts, Toy Hirschman and Amber Ravenscroft. This podcast is created by the National Consortium for Entrepreneurship Education, or EntreEd for short. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the EntreEd Talk podcast. We are so excited to have Chad Rifflin here with us today. Chad is a director of programs and grants for Consumer Credit Counseling Service of Rochester and has served the community of Western New York through the provision of financial capability services since 2001. As a certified financial health counselor, he has worked directly with more than 10,000 consumers, providing education, direction, and advice regarding personal finance. He has taught more than 1,200 personal finance classes to virtually every segment of the population, including schools, community groups, employer groups, faith-based organizations, and rehabilitation programs. Chad is also responsible for the development of several innovative programs that utilize a holistic approach to educating individuals and families regarding financial management, including the Cash Coach Program, Smart Checking Program, and MI Financial Coaching Program. He has received multiple awards for the work that he has done in the community and has been featured in numerous newspaper articles, radio, and television broadcasts. Chad will serve as the direct supervisor for the Smart Checking are being delivered effectively to accomplish the intended goals and targets. Additionally, Chad is the president of the EntreEd board. So I've known Chad for a while. Uh, welcome. We're so glad to have you here today. Thank you. It's great to be here. I know that bio was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate you reading that it's, off. It's good. It's really, it's really good. And, and um, I've known Chad for a while, uh, like I said, but um, I did not know a whole lot about him and all of your educational endeavors. So this is really, really cool. So why don't you give us a little bit uh, more information about your background and your career path and how you came to where you are today and interested in financial and entrepreneurship education? Sure. Uh, I think like most folks, my path to entrepreneurship education and just what I do in general for the work that I do was one that you can't plan out. <laughs> I was telling Toy before we started the podcast that I actually went to Bible college straight out of high school down in Tulsa, Oklahoma at a school called Rama Bible College. And uh, since that time, I've served in various capacities, part-time and in supportive ministerial roles as a youth pastor, uh, helped with music and other different things. And coming out of Bible school, you have to figure out what you got to do to feed your family. And I started working for a local collection agency. So imagine the internal conflict you have <laughs> coming out of Bible college and then going and collecting money from people. But the nice thing was it really gave me a foundation to learn a lot of important things regarding consumer rights, just how various industries work, the financial challenges that people deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and what will really help them move forward. So from that, I transitioned into the world that I am in now, which is the financial counseling world. And I started working to develop programs in complement to this collection agency that would help educate consumers about credit and personal finance. One of the first places we started in were the high schools. We figured students need to learn about this stuff as soon as possible. They need to know the pitfalls of credit. They need to know how to build their credit. And so we started in the high schools, and that also came out of my youth pastoring background, I had that focus at that time. With that, I had made some connections and did some networking and networked with our local city government 
and they had just started a youth entrepreneurship program that's known as Biz Kids. And a great contact that I have, somebody who's just a great mentor to me today, said, Chad, you need to come and help out with this program. And I said, I don't know, I'm doing credit education. She's like, no, it's it's very important, crucial fit to bring financial education together with entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurial spirit. And I said, all right, I'll give it a try. Um, so 15 years later, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been one of the, the best aspects of the, the work that I've gotten to do and got connected with Entre Ed and had the great opportunity to be on the board. So, you know, very thankful for how things turned out. Wow. So I just, I didn't know, I didn't know that. I just thought you were this big financial guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Schools, they used to say, Hey, you're that credit guy, right? Yeah, (laughs) I guess that's what I am. That's so important. And uh, I, I feel like I know the, there's a biz kids, but I don't, I don't know if it's the same one, but it's like, um, so there's the Biz Kids TV show, and we had the same name actually before the TV show started. And ironically, the popularity of the TV show helped our program because people just would automatically associate us with the Biz Kids PBS show, and oh, we would just wow. let them believe that <laughs> because we had some instant <laughs> credibility. That's that is so cool. Yeah. So I bet there is. I can see there is probably a lot of crossover between your work as a youth pastor and I mean we see there's a lot of people interestingly I know a lot of people who are have been youth pastors and are now working in schools (laughs) and it's there's just a lot of those those skill sets and how you deal with kids it's there's a lot of crossover there it seems oh most definitely as you can imagine teaching kids youth teenagers in a church setting comes with its own set of challenges that you have to really learn creatively how to overcome. And a lot of those different strategies that you employ can be very uh, beneficial in any form of education. Definitely. So um, you have a lot of different community-based programs that you work with and you work with a lot of kids. What, what do you feel is the most important things for young people to learn and as far as the different types of counseling that you do? First and foremost is vision for the future. Young people, just by their very nature, are going to have a difficult time envisioning their future because it's ambiguous. It's not something that's concrete. They're still coming out of that phase where they're used to understanding the concrete things. That's more real to them. And that's why we think, oh, why are young people so make such bad decisions? Well, they're just dealing with the tools that they have uh, in, in their hands right now, right? They just understand the immediate things. So being able to help them with concrete concepts to see the future, to envision their future, to believe in their ability to accomplish those outcomes that they desire, I think that's the number one thing. And, and that's what I think is so powerful about entrepreneurship education is it gives them that concrete platform to see a real thing that they can start working on now that will carry on into the future and that will build their future and help them with all those things they really desire in the end, their personal freedom, their personal time, being able to have fulfillment, being able to to have purpose in what they do. You can wrap all of that within the, the idea of starting and running a business. Absolutely. 
That's, that's, I mean, that's, that's what we talk about all the time. And it's, and it's even, you know, we expand that out to say all of those mindsets and all, everything that you just mentioned, the vision and working towards the future and having, having a goal, having, you know, having a desire to achieve something that, that can be part of starting a business for sure, but that can also be useful if you don't start a business. Right. And so, yeah, so when we, when we talk to students, it's the, it's the same thing. It's more about, okay, if you want to start a business, that's great, but you can, you'll be using these skills for the rest of your life. And the future right now is changing so rapidly <laughs> that, that they need these skills more than ever now. I think it's, it's crazy. So I'm, I'm curious how, um, how did you come to be on the board for EntreEd? <laughs> That's a really good question. And I, I still think that I feel like a, uh, out of place a little bit. Um, but it was just, again, one of those things where in a roundabout way, it just came to be as, as my career has kind of taken that same type of path. I had met a few of the board members over the years when we attended the annual conference, we attended the forum, started attending the forum back in 2005 and just always found tremendous value from it. And over time, we would meet the various board members when they were doing workshops, et cetera. And I think back in 2014, one of the board members nominated me to be on the board. And I was, and what's funny is I said, are you sure you mean me? Because I thought they were referring, like they were confusing me with another member of our group from the city. And so like, do you mean so-and-so? They're like, no, I, I think you should be on the board. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess so, you know, um, because with being in the financial counseling world, I've always, always felt a little bit tangential to entrepreneurship education. Uh, but this individual convinced me that, you know, it was important to kind of bring that different perspective it, and add that to what was happening there. Absolutely. I think it's it's fantastic. And it's actually you're not that far apart from everybody else on the board. Sure. It's there's it's you know, we have everyone has um these really unique backgrounds. I just I don't know, I don't know all of the the history. So this is really interesting to find out about. Um so are are you do you like it? Are, are you are you still enjoying it? Oh, I'll tell you, it's a fantastic group of people. And as you said, they have such a varied set of backgrounds, which I love. People from all over parts of the country. And they're so passionate about entrepreneurship education and being able to expand it in the fields that they're in. Uh, that that's what really keeps me going. Awesome. So when we, I, we believe that most of our audience for this podcast is, is educators or in education, the education world in some, in some capacity. And because you have a, a slightly different perspective, I'm going to ask you this, this question we, we asked to a lot of people who are, who are educators, but what do you think, what do you think is one of the most important things that educators should know about either about financial literacy or about entrepreneurship that they could, that they could bring to their students in the classroom? So I'll start with financial literacy or financial education, however somebody frames it. I think what an educator needs to know is that they don't have to have all the answers or feel like they understand that topic completely. 
because there's tons of resources. There are organizations that can provide the right information to their students, like Junior Achievement, other consumer credit counseling organizations in various cities across the country that they can leverage and bring into their classroom and have people do a talk, do some sort of seminar. But I think just providing some sort of platform and opportunity for kids to talk about money is the most important thing. Money is the least talked about topic in our entire culture. People will talk about sex before they talk about money. <laughs> you know, and, and That's you, true. Right? If you think about it, you probably none of us sit around the table with our friends and say, so how do you budget your money? Tell me what you do. Right? That's never going to happen. So we all have to deal with it. It's a struggle for all of us. But we don't talk about it. So giving students the platform to talk about it, to kind of demystify the taboo behind it, I think will be really powerful. In the end. Even if the information being presented isn't, uh, you know, as robust as somebody would want it to be, just talking about that topic will be very important. I love that. That's so funny. I, that, you're right. We don't talk about it ever. And, you know, and I mean, I was, I remember being a very, very, very strict budgeter when I was young. And then when I got out into the world, I was not so smart. Yeah. <laughs> I was smarter in high school than I was after college for a while. Yeah, it's interesting how things can change and evolve. It's the same thing for me, honestly. When I first started doing this type of work, I was doing more of the day-to-day doing the financial counseling and workshops and things. Now, I don't really do that. I oversee you know, the development and funding procurement of our programs, as you said. So you tend to drift away from the good habits that you had once before, and you have to come back and remind yourself and find new approaches that will work for you. So it's, it's an ever-evolving thing because we're complicated beings. Yes. <laughs> and, and managing money is a behavioral issue. It's not an outcome issue as much. So you have to continuously evaluate your behaviors, your motivations, find different sources of motivation. Um, and one of the most exciting things here is I think when people come in for counseling and afterwards they leave and say, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. Aww. And that's one of the greatest feelings that I think our counselors you know, walk home with every night is knowing they're able to give people some of that peace of mind and, and take away that stress. Yeah, I can I can see that because we all get into times of stress and you're right. Just being able to talk to somebody about it is, is would be would be very comforting. Yeah. <laughs> like, OK, now I have a plan. Now I know what to do. Now you um, asked before about what educators might need to know when it comes to entrepreneurship. For me personally, I think mindset is very important in the development of an entrepreneurial mindset is something that can be applied across just any discipline. And as you mentioned before, when students begin to adopt that entrepreneurial mindset where they're always looking for opportunities, they understand that challenges are an opportunity to grow. Failure is not something that's the end, right? Failure is, is the starting point. They start like learning these kinds of things. They can take that throughout their life and anything that they do and build on their own success. So for me personally, that's the most powerful part of entrepreneurship education. Well, I can say amen to that because <laughs> I know I'm preaching <laughs> to the choir here. <laughs> we have we we have a lot of pro- choir preaching that happens in these podcasts. <laughs> okay, <We laughs> but I think away. but it's so good for people to to know that, and you know, I wish more educators would understand 
the couple of things that you said, like about just don't be so afraid if you don't know everything. Just just give the kids a platform to, to take some ownership and have these discussions, you know, and the mindsets. You know, we can't we can't give kids information anymore. Like we can't give them the, the information is there. It's in your pocket, you know, <laughs> now. So right. we have to teach them these these mindsets and these skills so that they know how to use the information for for good rather than evil, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I do have to probably come clean and preface what I just said by stating that I am a huge fan of the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. And yep. if any, anybody's out there who's not read this book, uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It completely changed my life. And it, it definitely also illustrates, I think, some of the challenges that our education system has created unintentionally uh, that students fall into with their mindset, where they're always thinking an evaluation such as a test is a determination of what, whether you're smart or not. And when you fall into that thinking, what it does is it causes you to have to defend that and protect it. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to hide it and to not face challenges and to not engage in things that are actual learning. So it's just this, you know, problem that becomes self-inflicting. So, yeah, that's why I say I have to preface uh, what I just said by saying I'm, I'm a huge proponent of the book mindset. So I'm always going to lean towards that. I, I am too. Somebody gave that to me years ago. And I think like you, it did. It kind of changed the way I thought about a lot of things. And um, it, it's it's really a great book. I've been if you, it's and it's an easy read too. So go yes. out and get the book. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, her research is incredible, and it, it we do we've done a really good job uh, in our education system of preventing these mindsets from happening. And so we need to we need to shift back the other direction, and and we can't likely get rid of tests anytime soon. But we but we can give students additional opportunities to fail to fall flat on their face <laughs> and and it's okay and get back up there's no desire to want to explore and and they don't understand at that point that there there, there isn't a test we're going to do something we're going to learn something for the sake of learning it and that's that's difficult by the time they get to high school yeah i was a student who struggled in school and i was actually homeschooled for my last 3 years of high school oh wow Back then, that was pretty radical. And I think for me, in the style of learning that I gravitated towards that time, school was just a confirmation in my mind that I wasn't smart. So that was a big challenge that I always had to overcome. And then getting into the, the world of work, I realized like, oh, not everything operates that way. You know, it's not at all a test to verify whether or not you get something or you don't. Uh, there's, there's more learning that you just have to understand how to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And you have to actually just learn how to be a learner um, and translate that learning into something productive and actionable. Uh, so I hope that and it seems like more educators are learning that fact um, that not all students are read-write learners. And 
intelligence is not a fixed thing. It's something that we develop. Yeah, I'm trying to instill that in my in my children right now, but I'm fighting against a system that's it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's, it's you know, it's telling the systems telling them you got you have to get these good grades. And then I'm also telling them, I, I do want you to get good grades, but <laughs> yeah. so I'm sure I'm confusing the heck out of their little brains <laughs> because I'm. I'm also fighting in my mind, you know, I don't have, we don't have a lot of school choice. So we're fighting this battle of, oh, okay. I want you to be in good classes, but I don't want to be the person that is, I don't want to ground you because you have a C. (laughs) That's not, that's not effective. I actually went back to school um, about three years ago and I'm working on finishing my business administration degree. Awesome. And uh, the school, since it's a college, it has more freedom in this regard, got away from doing quizzes and started going to and, and tests and going to just project based work, which I think is brilliant. Um, but in one class that I had recently, for some reason, the professor threw in uh, a midterm and a final. And I absolutely I'll just admit I bombed the midterm and the final. I think I got like a 60 and a 40. I was just like devastated because I did not want to tolerate that. But on the final project, I got a hundred. So how can I not understand the content of what I was learning if I got a hundred on the final project, right? So of course I'm completely biased on tests, but um, I don't think that they're a good evaluation of someone's abilities. I absolutely agree with that. And we, you know, (laughs) I think in some cases that they can actually be criminal when you, um, we do these, we, I can't believe that we're still doing this chat. I cannot believe that the world, any place in the world is still doing this, but they are still doing timed math tests. Yeah. These were timed tests. Yeah. So, so for us, a student who's already has that a similar experience to you who already has that anxiety of this is like, it's pressure, that's stress. Mm-hmm. So instead of figuring out what you know, which the project-based stuff would do there, you're, you might, you might be able to take that test on your own time without any issues, but you put a timer on it and you just added a test anxiety situation that, you know, you might not be able to answer two plus two at that point. Right. And what does yeah. the time prove other than the fact that you had, you can recall something faster at that point in time, but not necessarily that it is a concept that you have deeply rooted within your understanding that you can apply to something. And that usually takes a lot longer to flesh out and process. So the fact that you need to take longer on something actually might be a good sign that you are going through all of the different iterations and variants that you need to process to say, no, I understand this is actually the correct way to go rather than I'm just, you know, I'm just drawing up what I remember was the right response, right? I'd rather know that people are actually processing that information and analyzing it and then coming to a good conclusion. Well, when was the last time that you uh, took a timed test apart from your class <laughs> in your life or had to do yeah. something in, in an hour? And <laughs> it, was a, it was a long time ago. Like that. <laughs> I, I, I had a, a very similar experience to, to yours. I've 
in my my doctorate program and there are no tests right <laughs> there are no tests and all but we did i had a class over the summer that had tests and i was freaking out and and i i never really had too much test anxiety but i it it, it put me in a freak out mode because i'm like well but what if i don't finish it in an hour and a half? <laughs> you know and it was just it was that like like conjuring up stuff from way back in my past these feelings of oh my gosh this is yeah. crazy well plus then we're getting into the issue of like interpreting language right and language is just so fluid and so dynamic and of course there's rules around language etc i understand that but still on a day-to-day -day basis those rules are not real right so we interpret things that's really what we're doing when we, when we receive language we read something on test we're interpreting language uh and you can interpret things multiple ways, right? So for a student who has that mind of like really trying to interpret something, when you're reading a test and possible answers, you're seeing probably a lot more than what they're intending you're, you're gonna see. So you have that barrier to overcome, right? And, and that's another reason why tests have always been a, a bit frustrating for someone like myself. I think they're a bit frustrating for everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my my son had a test today and I'm like are you you ready are you good i guess like, <laughs> like yeah just another test there are there are kids that are just getting lost because of the constant emphasis on the testing and grades and that yeah you know it doesn't it doesn't take much to embed mindsets and project-based learning and design-based thinking and all of these great things into whatever content area you're teaching. And I think that's kind of, kind of my mission. It's Andre Ed's mission to get that, get that knowledge out to teachers and show them how much fun, I mean, it's more fun for teachers when they have those, those really interesting projects that, uh, you know, every kid's, every kid has a different interpretation, like you said, and, and they're wildly interesting and fun and engaging and, it's yeah. just how we get in away the, from that. In the end, shouldn't any educational endeavor really produce an individual who is super excited about continuing to learn? Because then we know that individual is going to continue to grow and build their value to our society, right? As they gain more understanding, as they gain more capability, et cetera. But what school would actually survey their students who are exiting and say, how do you feel about learning? Like, how much do you love learning? Because they know the responses probably wouldn't be too great. No. But why wouldn't we try to evaluate the effectiveness of education based on something like that, of what the result is that it should really be producing? That's absolutely true. Yeah, I think in a traditional school, you don't, you're not going to see, <laughs> you, you ask every graduate as they're walking away with their cap and gown, what, how do you feel about learning? Right. <laughs> like, well, I guess I have to go to college or I guess I'm going to go, you know, but yeah. there's not that, there isn't. And, and I watch it and, and, you know, I don't know if your, your kids were fortunate to have school choice, but I've watched kind of the light. The, the love of learning. I, you know, I watched my kids when they were little and they wanted to learn everything. <laughs> they want, why, right. why, why, why? <laughs> What's that? You know, and I'm watching as it's systematically just being sucked out of them. And now it's, you know, for my, he's only in fourth grade and he's already like this robot. Okay, here are my tasks. Here's what I have to get done. If you get by the end of the month, I have to do the X, Y, and Z. And it's, 
it's it's not passion. It's just I don't I want to avoid having to deal with the headache of a teacher being mad at me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Um, I think you're right. Almost every single young person heads off to school being excited about school. This new environment, you're gonna learn all this cool stuff. But in the end, we all know, you know, it's very rare that a student graduates after uh, high school and it's like, I still have that level of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. So what what's going what's going on in between? What's going wrong? Because I, I don't believe that people don't like learning. I think at our core, we all love learning. That's part of why life is is great, right? When you learn something new, when you when you stretch yourself a little bit more, when you grow. Um, nobody likes to stay stagnant and just be the same person they were yesterday. So why is that desire not remaining? I think we need to have kindergarten all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> no, nope, pre-K, pre-K all the way through. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I, I caught this quick little snippet of a documentary about education. And at, at one point, I think they were interviewing teachers in Finland and students in Finland, oh. where it's structured, I think, kind of from what I remember exactly is what you just said. It's almost like kindergarten all the way through, where the student is just driving what they want to explore and learn on whatever they, they're interested in. And then the teacher is kind of like the facilitator to bring the resources in and say, okay, you might want to check this out. I suggest you kind of go down this path and take a look here or there. And these kids were brilliant. I mean, like, shockingly brilliant. Um, but I think it's based on that core concept that you were just saying of like continuing to foster that spark of exploration and uh, discovery that is just innate within all of us. Yep. Yeah, they, I don't think they even start school until they're seven in Finland. I think that's the same. I think, I think that's what I was reading about them. And somehow, like you said, they're somehow they're brilliant. They're, they're going to school less. They're doing more engaging projects and somehow they're faring better at the end of it than we are with all of our rules. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I mean, I wish we could, I wish we could do more of that. And it's funny that when you are engaged in a project and you're learning and you're, and you want to do that thing and you're motivated, all the other stuff, all the math, all the science, all the, you know, the reading and the literacy, all of that is going to fall into those, to those things. Right. And it's just, you have to learn that, you know, and it's just be that it's that exploration. Okay. What do I need to know to get to the next part of what I'm trying to figure out? And then you, and you figure it out, you YouTube it, you get on a, <laughs> you find a book, but it's, it's really interesting that we don't see it that way. And I, I always share the story about, I talk about my kids a lot. It's a, it's a problem for me. <laughs> um, but I, I share this story about uh, when my oldest was in, I think it was, he was in kindergarten. It was before kindergarten and throughout kindergarten, he was obsessed with Bigfoot. Turns out, he still is a little bit obsessed with Bigfoot. <laughs> we, we've been on a hunt, an actual big oh, wow. hunt. Nice. We met some cryptozoologists. It was pretty cool. I'm not convinced that Bigfoot isn't real, actually. But uh, but he, he he was obsessed, so we got him these books. I mean, he was in kindergarten. He could barely read, and he, he 
learned how to read what he needed to read in these books. And he made a map of the country and, and, and drawn on the map where these sightings were. And he learned, I mean, he knows every state because of that. And he knows just stuff about terrain and mountains. And I mean, he, so many things went into him just because he was obsessed with Bigfoot. And like, yeah. how easy was that? But, but we don't. <laughs> We don't do that, and and we I mean we're 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 getting there. A lot of schools are starting to to understand, and and you know you saw at the forum some of the schools that were showcased, that, and they're starting to get it and and infusing some of these things into their curriculum, and it's changing the schools, and it and it's making them better and more engaging, and the kids are smiling. It's like, geez. <laughs> What a concept. So Chad, if folks would like to know more about you and your programs and stuff, how could they contact you? Yeah, I would love to talk to anybody who wants to learn a little bit more about what we do. They can contact me by just calling our main number. It's 585-546-3440. And they can just ask for me and the folks here will, will get them to me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your insights and your time today. I'm so glad that we could have you on and, and Amber sends her love as well, but she is out at a school. (laughs) (laughs) She's doing, she's doing good work as always. She's awesome. This was super fun. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for coordinating and, and everything that you do there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And we will talk soon. I'm sure. Absolutely. Bye everybody.